kind of a gray area right now, Chris. I mean, from the standpoint of premiums, no, they haven't gone down at all. Availability's not gotten better at all. But uh, the demand has kind of slowed down considerably, at least in the last week. Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcadia Economics. And once again, it is that time of the week for our physical silver retail report and joined as always by Andy Sheckman of Miles Franklin, who gives us an update of what's happening on the retail level for people who are buying and selling physical silver, often a bit different from what's going on in the futures pricing. So great to have you here as always, Andy, and look forward to digging in today. And how are you, my friend? Good to see you, buddy. I'm great. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, pleasure to have you back here. And I guess to start, the last couple of weeks have certainly been quite chaotic. Uh, it was interesting last week when you mentioned that junk silver getting very hard to find. And perhaps just if you could start us off with what's going on with the premiums, have things calmed down at all or premiums coming back in or what are we looking at right now? Well, <clears throat> sentiment has slowed down a little bit. And I've always found it fascinating that people in this country are, are far too reactionary. They 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 make their moves dependent upon what they see with their eyes instead of what they understand with their gut and and it's being uh, proactive that allows truly successful people in any in any aspect in in preparation for anything significant to get ahead to to be positioned to not be reactionary not chasing the 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 bandwagon down the road but being you know in the driver's seat driving down the street and that's kind of the way that it is in this industry. Something happens like a bank goes under like a SVC bank and all of a sudden the floodgates open up and people are panicked and, and, and terrified. And albeit, you know, we certainly help uh, in essence, close to 13,000 people in the last 40 days uh, add precious metals to their, these are new clients and that, that we've added. So, I mean, I can't say that, um, there hasn't been a tremendous amount of, of of demand that was was taken care of, but it's slowed down considerably over the last week or so, as as the problems, as you mentioned offline, have been papered over, and it's as if everything will be okay again. A few hundred billion dollars paid out to the banks is enough to make everyone forget about three banks failing and the whole banking system being on thin ice, and and. You know, until the next crisis happens, I think it will be like this. It will be steady. But, you know, people are are not, I think, looking at this problem as systemic enough to warrant really taking a, a closer look at, at their finances. Granted, some are, but but not as many as as we would think. I mean, I'm surprised, I guess, at how much it's quieted down roughly Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of last week, and then here today and over the weekend. I mean, during uh, the SVC debacle, we were getting phone calls late into the night on Saturday and Sunday. It, it slowed down a bit. Now, granted, premiums have not come down at all. In fact, they continue to go higher on anything American. Uh, American uh, Eagle silver on junk silver. Gold buffaloes have come up because the mint has had a, pr a problem uh, keeping up with gold buffaloes, although they did just send out a, a letter to me saying that they hope to have more available next week. Um, it's kind of uh, 
kind of a gray area right now, Chris. I mean, from the standpoint of premiums, no, they haven't gone down at all. Availability's not gotten better at all. But uh, the demand has kind of slowed down considerably, at least in the last week. And um, I guess until we see some sort of resumption of chaos, it'll be that way. And it's just a good time for people to add to their portfolio now before that happens. And I said this you know, several weeks ago in, in December and in January, trying to find a rhyme and a reason why demand had fallen off so much. And we talked about that ad nauseum, certainly. And then bang, something happens and it just goes sideways again. And I think that's where we are right now. People's memories are short, but not that short. And I think if we see more rumblings in the banking system, which we have to, we have to. I mean, the Fed is aiding and abetting it by rate, continuing to talk of raising rates. And when you see the overnight repo market uh, paying a rate considerably higher than the 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 banks will pay you, even in a CD, this is where all the money market money is going. And this is why people are leaving those regional banks. The only way the regional banks can come up with the money to, to uh, pay for the redemptions is by selling assets. So I would assume that certainly the end of the regional banking problem is not over. In fact, it seems to me it's only just starting to gain steam. We won't know that until we see which one breaks or how many break and what are the ramifications of that. All that will take is, or, or just that one event would I think send people into a frenzy all over again, who over a couple of weeks have forgotten about it. Yeah, I know what you mean. And uh, perhaps that's somewhat natural where you know, you watch this thing unfold in slow motion, and obviously it's pretty concerning when you see a bank run happen and then things get papered over and continue on as normal for a while. Uh, I was trying to pull it up here. I don't have it handy, but it was even Robert Kaplan, the former Fed uh, Dallas president, was out a uh, Wall Street Journal article recently mentioning that this is more like the second or third inning rather than the seventh. And Again, with more uh, rate hikes on the way, and obviously we've heard a lot about how it was a bit of a lag before the impact of some of these things are felt. And, you know, you just wonder how it all ultimately plays out as, again, we've talked about a lot on the show where that in a bit of a corner where you either keep hiking and leads to the possibility or probability of more of these issues or revert back to printing, which I think a lot of people... Well, again, we don't have to say a lot of people think. I mean, even Jerome Powell has been talking about that, not this year, but with a lower Fed funds rate going into 24 and 25. So we shall see how that happens. But makes sense. And either case, good to hear that things have calmed down a little bit. Um, we did have a couple of questions come in for you last week, though, one of which I think would be good to get to right away. Sure. Curious what you've been seeing in the thousand ounce bar market Anything unusual there, or perhaps uh, if you could give us an idea of the trajectory of how the premiums on those have gone. If, I know there are times when they've been harder to come by, and what is that looking like? Yeah, well, it's interesting. Interesting question because <clears throat> when the thousand ounce bars were more of a of a thing, it was when there was no product to be found over the last couple of years, and so everyone ran to the thousand ounce bars because the the alternatives not only were too expensive, they were just too hard to come by for a good period of time during the pandemic. So right now the premiums on the thousand ounce bars are not outrageous and the availability is, is decent, I guess. Um, but to be honest with you, I haven't really looked at them very much because uh, 
you know, one of the things I talked about with you was how when business slowed down over the holidays and people wanting to get out and be with their family and kind of turning off their computer screen, we had the, the allocations for 2023 coming out. And these two things combining created an environment where premiums were as low as they had been in, in years and availability was as good as it had been in years. And so we were able to offer people you know, things like 100-ounce bars, kilo bars, 10-ounce bars, one-ounce sovereign mint coins, buffalo rounds at reasonable prices, reasonable premiums. I wouldn't even have dreamed of recommending anyone buy 1,000-ounce bars. To me, 1,000-ounce bars are really only appropriate for very, very, very large orders. And because the lack of liquidity, the, the, um, the size of the bar makes it very difficult to take possession of. And even if you have taken possession of them, Packaging them and sending them across the country becomes daunting. And in many cases, the bars, if packaged properly, will weigh more than 70 pounds in package, which would exclude them from being shipped by registered and insured mail. And unless you have supplemental dealer insurance, you can't ship by UPS or FedEx. It presents a big problem for people. And unless it's being held in a depository like Brinks, then I wouldn't recommend people buy 1,000-ounce bars unless there are no other alternatives. And so I haven't paid as close attention to the thousand ounce bars, but simply to say, if they were hard to get, I would know about it. So as far as I can see, the bars are still available. The premiums are not outrageous. They've come down because everything else in the retail world has come down with it in terms of the, the more attractive, smaller denominated, smaller sized uh, coins and bars. So. When the thousand ounce bars go, you know we're in the ninth inning and we're not there yet. But at this point right now, I would tell people to focus on things that are that are easy to, to get and to handle and are, are more liquid. And you can never have too much liquidity, too much flexibility. You can never have too many outs or options, whether you're playing poker with your buddies or driving on a crowded highway or investing. You want the flexibility. You can never have too many exits or too many outs or too many options depending upon the situation. So I wouldn't recommend thousand ounce bars and wouldn't have recommend them over the last three months because the product availability and premiums have been as good as they have been since before the pandemic. Um, although we're starting to see them tick up again, as we've talked about the last few weeks, especially the American products. When we start running out of, of sovereign mint items and, and delays on 10 and hundred ounce bars and kilo bars, that's when I will look much more closely at the thousand ounce bars. All righty. And along those lines, taking a look at our COMEX registered silver stocks, obviously we've talked quite a bit about how that came down from about 150 million ounces, uh, geez, uh, two years ago now. Gotten down to that mid thirties level, low thirties, then uh, stayed pretty flat for a couple of months, popped back up and then came down. We had a big withdrawal in the past week now down to 30.59 million ounces. Again, uh, I read this column from one of the guys uh, that writes for Peter Schiff, who he seems to feel that we've reached the point of what's actually available to be delivered. He doesn't seem to think that those last 30 million ounces are actually, not, not that they're not out there, but that basically we've reached the break point. So going back to the thousand ounce bars, let's say that, you know, there was tightness there and, and we we get to the point where there's an issue. What are the signs that you would expect to see behind the scenes that people might not 
get access to, but if there does become a problem where metal is, is continued to take, be taken off the COMEX, what would be some of the signs that you would be looking for that, Hey, something isn't balancing out here. Well, this is it right here. I mean, it was just a few weeks ago that JP Morgan threw in what seven, eight, nine million ounces into the registered category to push it up to 39 million ounces. And look how fast that 9 million ounces has been bled dry. I think one of the things that I have found most intriguing about the way things work in this industry or the way that things seem to be happening in this economy is that there, there are signs if you pay attention. And that's what makes guys like me seem like the little boy who cries wolf because I see the signs but yet it doesn't materialize. If you don't see this as being completely and totally relevant to the whole situation where there's only 30 million ounces backing the price setting mechanism of the world where India imported over 10 times that amount last year, where 9 million ounces have been bled down in what, in just a couple of weeks. Uh, and when JP Morgan put that silver out of eligible into registered, everyone freaked out. Well, are they going to flood the market with their silver? No. What they were doing was preemptively putting metal in the market they knew that was going to be delivered. Someone took delivery, obviously, of copious amounts of silver on the other end of their short contract, I would guess. But the bottom line is simply this, is that, yes, so there's 30 million ounces there, but what happens if all of a sudden there's 20? or another 9 million ounces is bled or 20 million ounces going and there's only 10 million ounces. So you get to a point where the exchange itself starts to be exposed as, as, as really non-relevant as a scam, as, you know, uh, I, I read, I read the stuff that that gentleman puts out that writes for Peter and not too long ago, he talked about the, the contracts being almost 18 times rehypothecated. So in other words, if there really are, is 30 million ounces there. Does that mean that there are 18 times as many contracts, assuming that they own that silver? And the answer is probably yes. And so what happens if you get 17 of those people that stand for delivery as you start to see more and more silver be bled down? Very quickly, you reach that point of, of, of force majeure, of, of no longer allowing delivery. And that's when all hell breaks loose very, very quickly. So I would agree with what that gentleman is saying. And if you take an 18 times rehypothecation, you know, I mean, yeah, so we are just over half, less than half. If what he's saying is true, then then in essence, you have 18, 18 million ounces there, if my math is correct, that would actually have contracts associated with it, right? And or 17 or 18 million, and the rest of it is rehypothecated. So however you look at it, the bottom line is, is that there are way more contracts out there than there are bars representing the backing of, of, of these contracts. And that's exactly what the Hunt brothers realized in 1980. And that's exactly what that's exactly what we're talking about right here. That's what he's talking about. And at some point it has to break. And so when you talk about what would I notice in thousand ounce bars, to me, this is it. But one of the things that I've noticed about the, the way things happen these days is that they happen on a Sunday night or a Monday morning. There's no time to react. And you can look back and say, shit, I, I mean, it was obvious there was only 30 million ounces in the registered category. And there was 160 million in 2021. Something's going on. This is being bled dry that is the wake-up call. The fact that it doesn't happen instantaneously, the fact that it's drawn out, that it's somewhat counterintuitive is maddening. 
drives people crazy. But I do think that this is the wake up call. This is proof that we are very close to thousand ounce bars just not being available. And oftentimes in this industry, what is available today is not tomorrow. And it happens that fast. But if this doesn't give you an indication that we're really close to that, nothing will. And it's one of these deals where, you know, all of a sudden they were available and then all of a sudden they're not. And I don't think there'll be much in the way of any, um, any advanced warning, any more than there was of watching what happened to this industry in three weeks when the banks went bust. It happened so fast, it caught everyone by by storm and it was a, a, a tsunami of demand. Well, when you start to see things like Comex breaking apart or them saying we won't ever allow deliveries anymore, you'll know we're right there. Not only for the thousand ounce bars you won't be able to get, but in a matter of a very short period of time, you won't be able to find anything especially if the mints and the refineries lose the ability to get thousand ounce bars to make the planchets, to make the rounds, to make the coins. When you look at that chart, when you look at the drawdown off, off the LBMA, you have to come up with, I don't know how you come up with any other conclusion, but that we are really close that this is the 12th hour. And, you know, one of these days it just breaks. And until then it'll drive people nuts trying to figure out why it hasn't already because it is incredibly counterintuitive. One would think the prices would be through the roof right now, and they should be, uh, and they probably will be. You know, Citibank just came out and said, I think that they expect silver to be 30 bucks by the end of the year, if I'm not mistaken. So Good. you're even getting some of the, the mainstream little bit talking about it. But, you know, Chris, one of these days we're just going to wake up and product won't be available. And I, I know that in my soul. I know that. But in, especially in Comex, where they've made a living and a profession out of kind of um, blurring the lines between truth and and uh, and and fiction, between reality and conspiracy, I think there won't be much of any advance warning whatsoever with those bars. This is why you're seeing the people in the know, the people not only who have the biggest money, but closest to the information. They're getting out of harm's way before that happens. They have been spending three years methodically and slowly, not too fast, using manipulation to allow the supplies not to be drained as fast as one would think they would to reposition, to get out of the COMEX, to take bars off the exchange. And when they do that, they're never coming back. So good question, but I honestly think there will be no advance warning. It's going to be they're available and then they're not. And it'll probably all happen on a Monday morning. Well, we'll certainly keep an eye on that going forward. I wonder if one of the things that perhaps is one of the last few steps that we're missing here, you can see this is the ETFs, also includes COMEX, but interesting here where we've seen a lot of metal come out of SLV and the other funds, which I would indicate as perhaps not so much mainstream fund participation in silver. And even over the uh, past couple of weeks when we saw silver go from 20 and change up to 25 you know a couple inflows there but probably this this bad boy here uh almost knocking out both three of those different story in gold where here we've seen a lot of uh fund inflow into gld and the other etfs so I and you can see i mean from april until april for a year all they did was drain it slowly and I think that's exactly what they've been doing. And the people who are taking it out, they're not you and I. 
these are these are the most sophisticated, wealthy, uh, well-funded traders on the planet. These are the commercial banks. These are the family offices. These are the hedge funds that see the writing on the wall and they have the wherewithal and the amount of uh, metal in their holdings. I think they call it a basket, some extraordinary amount where they can they can take it out. And it's that share redemption in metal, which gives them the privacy that they're looking for. It doesn't get recorded like it does on COMEX. So when you see those outflows, those are big money players that are repositioning ahead of whatever is coming. And that's really what's driven me on, on a lot of this stuff for the last few years that where we live in a counterintuitive world that'll drive you insane, trying to figure it out, measuring logic and what you see with your eyes to what is actually happening. But this is what gives it away. Look at all the red. And that is big money using any opportunity they can to pull metal out of the funds and the exchanges. And, and I think that really betrays any and all um, price underperformance, any and all uh, counterintuitive price action. They are using price to drain the exchanges. They are using rhetoric, using volatility while keeping it in a tight range to make people say, why the hell should I buy it? It should be a whole lot higher. And they look the other way, allowing these funds, these institutions, these family offices, these sovereign wealth funds, whoever they are, to quietly drain the exchanges without competition. Well, there's a lot of metal that's come out of there. And I don't know, maybe that will take the Fed's reversal at some point to change that. Although, interesting when you, you do think about this was right around when the Fed started hiking rates. We saw the price drop. Again, it's not just you or me saying that they're going to cut rates. Jerome Powell has been saying it himself. So whether that's this year, I think there's certainly a case to be made that it could be this year yet. Him talking about doing it next year and beyond, uh, Perhaps that will be the driver on that. Uh, another question that came in was based on something you talked about last week where you and Bill were talking about how you advocated junk silver, not maybe not well, advocated in, in many situations. And, you know, especially if you get to a point where you're we're bartering or paying for things that junk silver comes in handy. Although this person was saying that if he's looking at silver, I mean, he had an allocation between coins and 100-ounce bars. And if he's hoping that at some point there's a rise in the silver price and he's using that to buy rental properties or real estate or larger items, what would you say in that scenario? Is is that make sense to go to 100-ounce bars or maybe even 1,000-ounce bars um, if you're using it for a different type purpose than what we discussed last week? Yeah, I mean, if you if you if you're using it, if you know what your intentions are, uh, you're going to use it for big ticket items, and yeah, why not? I mean, take care of your your personal liquidity first, and then get some bigger bars. And and I think to me, <coughs> excuse me, more often than not, the savings that you find in larger bars often is not commensurate with the loss of flexibility. Now, I would say that mostly in gold, where you buy one ounce bars and you can save some money buying 10 ounce or kilo bars, but that savings is not commensurate with the loss of flexibility. In silver, it is more commensurate. I would choose 100 ounce bars over 1,000 ounce bars, even though the savings is, is significant, unless you are going to keep it in a storage facility and then use the, the price action to sell it and reposition to somewhere else. But 
quite frankly, mo most of the people I talk to, their, their time horizon is much longer than that. And if they say to me, look, I need to buy a property in six or eight months, I typically say, listen, as much as I'd like to earn your business, in good conscience, I have to tell you that I wouldn't recommend it. That, yeah, it may turn out to be the smartest thing you've ever done. Get your money out of the banks, put it in something solid. But like I said, I've been at this game long enough to know you can bang your head against the wall when you see the world aflame and the, the powers that be do all they can to step on the neck of gold and silver. And if you need it for something, uh, whether it be to pay a down payment on a house or a college tuition or whatever it may be where you need it, I think you have to stop and think about the wisdom of investing it in something that could it could go sideways. I'd rather see the people put it in 60-day treasuries or 90-day treasuries, or at least you're guaranteed to get the return back, the principal back, back by the U.S. government. But in general, the answer to that question would be yes. If, if they're looking to, you know, make a large purchase and understand the risks associated with silver and see it as being a real opportunity, as I do, as you do, then yeah, you would save money by buying 100-ounce bars and even thousand ounce bars in buying thousand ounce bars you will have the storage expense in buying hundred ounce bars you can take possession of it yourself and easily liquidate them yourself kilo bars and hundred ounce bars would be my choice if you were going to buy if you wanted to maximize your liquidity while also saving on buying items that didn't carry the premiums that the smaller units did in fact to me the sweet spot over the last several years and it is still today would be the kilo silver bars, which have been actually less than the 100 ounce bars, which is unusual. So the Valcambi, the um, Germanium Mint, the Valcambi Mint, and the Nadir Mint are three kilo bars that are all very nice, that are all very affordable and, and would fit the bill very nicely on that. Okay. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm sure our viewer will appreciate that one. Last uh, thing to go over with you today is... Note that came out from the Silver Institute's report that was published last week that I know a lot of people have been digging through, showed quite a deficit last year. Uh, we'll highlight that real quick right here. Uh, 237.7 million ounces, forecasting a deficit of 142 in 2023 this year. So, uh, But one note that they had in here, which I thought would be interesting to run by you, Mentioned, we also think that institutional investment will eventually run out of steam as we believe that the current market consensus that the Fed will be forced to cut rates in the second half will be proven wrong. This should see silver fall to the low 18s before year end, culminating in a full year average of 2130 down 2%. Um, now, they're mentioning recent boom in investor demand. So I wonder if they didn't mean retail investment which is accounting for the uh, net big net physical investment numbers they have there. So I believe they might've meant retail there, but based on what you've seen so far, do, do you think that a, the figures that you've seen this year are going to surpass last year? Uh, do you think they will run out of steam? And then uh, perhaps we'll answer that first before we talk about whether we see low 18s happening this year. So what? The Fed's going to raise interest rates. They've proven they can't raise rates above the level of inflation. The, the Bureau of Labor Statistics lies about the numbers of inflation. And even still, we can't raise them even above 4.5% without breaking the entire 
financial system, breaking it. And, and yet it's a real return, a negative real return. And the, the knock that they're implying here is that silver doesn't pay any interest, but you can get interest on a treasury. Sure you can, but you're still going backwards. It's a negative real return in this environment. So I don't see it taking the steam out of the investor demand. Quite to the contrary, I think that there are so many things lined up. This is such a a a, a minuscule, sophomoric view of it, in my opinion. There's so many things globally that in 10 seconds could change the whole backdrop of not only the US dollar hegemony, but but of of an interest rate uh situation where, you know. Look, the Fed has already proven that that ultimately they know that if they raise rates high enough, it's going to create a massive problem. So either they're trying to blow up the banks by by aiding and abetting the the exodus out of the or the regional banks by keeping the the overnight repo market or the federal funds rate so high that you have the these commercial banks in their money market paying five percent or four and a half or five percent and the uh, the, the regional banks can't come anywhere near that with their CDs. And so you have this massive exodus out of the banks. If they continue to do that, they will blow up the regional banks. They will greatly damage the whole banking sector and start to damage the economy. So how high can they really go before they capitulate? Look what happened over the last few weeks where they completely reversed course and, and, and put back $400 billion in quantitative easing into the system, erasing two-thirds of 11 months worth of quantitative tightening. But look, when you see the amount of demand that we've seen, not just investment demand, but industrial demand too, when you see what's happening in, in, in this economy, when you see what's happening with the BRICS nations, when you see all of the things that are lining up against the dollar, against the banking system, against ever normalizing the Fed's balance sheet, against raising rates high enough to really ever combat inflation, I think it's all hyperbole and pie in the sky. Quite frankly, I would I would tend to err on on Citibank's uh, opinion that it will be between twenty eight and thirty, rather than the Silver Institute, who says eighteen to twenty. And 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 they're making the assess the statement, or there's there. They're basically, he's basically saying, or whoever wrote this is basically saying that oh, you raise rates another quarter a basis point, or twenty five basis points, or fifty basis points that you know people will just stop buying precious metals because you'll make a greater return and in interest bearing assets that yield you a negative real return and forget about all the risk involved with owning, you know, owning treasuries and, and forget about the risk of what happens if the things I've been talking about for the past three years that seem to be accelerating with the de-dollarization and the dumping of dollars and the dumping of treasuries, forget about the ramifications that that will have. It, it just, to me, it, it's just, it's just, I don't like the the angle that they're taking and saying it's going to go down into the low 18 simply because the Federal Reserve will be forced to raise rates by 25 basis points or 50 basis points. I think it's naive. I think that does nothing. And quite frankly, I think it's window dressing. All it's going to do is blow up the banks. And how about the ramifications of that where people wonder if all of their money held in the banking system is safe or not? And what, you feel better being inside of a handful of, of commercial banks that have trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars with the derivatives that are all systemically connected to one another. And, you know, it's, it's, I think it's having a, um, it's not having a broad enough view. I'll put it to you that way. I think there are much bigger forces at play here than just 
what will happen if the Fed continues to raise rates little by little. And they have never gotten tough on inflation since they said they would, quite frankly. And raising rates to four, four and a half percent, not even to five percent, and seeing what has happened uh, to me is just it's just one of these deals where how much higher can they go before they blow everything up? And and I don't think it's very much higher whatsoever. Yeah, they're going to probably raise it another one or two times, but that doesn't change anything other than putting greater and greater stress on the system. And, and I don't think it changes why you need to own gold and silver. The bigger reason why you need to own gold and silver is looking at the, at the United States balance sheet where you know we're, we're almost 200 trillion in debt. What's going to happen as we continue to raise rates? What's going to happen to Social Security that's going to be bankrupt, according to Reuters, in, in, in six years? What happens? And so seven years, quite frankly, I think all it's going to do is, is create bigger problems that will move people into tangible assets and away from financial instruments. Yeah, and perhaps just one thing to add on to there, as we see, uh, here's a on this chart, the gray line is the price. I mean, it made sense when you had the Fed at the beginning of their 75 basis point hikes last year that we saw silver get even slightly below $18. Again, it's been interesting to me that we've seen this, this rally happen as the Fed has been continuing to hike. And I don't think we're going to be seeing another 75 basis point hike in our near future. So um I get it that maybe we won't see the cuts. It's possible that it gets pushed out a little longer than expected, but either case, we shall see. And just uh, one last note, in case anyone thinks I'm making it up, here on uh, page four, this is transcript of Chair Powell's press conference, and you can see for yourself, uh, as he mentions here, our FOMC participants wrote down an appropriate path if the economy evolves as projected. They project appropriate level of Fed funds will be 5.1% at the end of this year, 43 at the end of 2024, and 3.1% at the end of 2025. So um, we'll see whether it's one, two, or three hikes this year, but um, not even the Fed is suggesting that much higher at whatever their terminal rate is. And they're already talking about the cuts. So Well, that's the point. How much higher can you go without blowing everything up? <clears throat> there are so many distortions out there misallocations of capital and resources that have been a, a direct result of the suppressed interest rates for so long that I don't even think they have any idea what will happen if they continue to raise rates. I mean, maybe this was a, a glimpse of it, what you saw happening with Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. Yeah, maybe that was just a glimpse of it. But quite frankly, if they go much higher, the whole system starts to break. And and I think, indeed, that is something they understand. They are caught between a rock and a hard place, and they will do what all governments have done, and that is to choose inflation as their path of least resistance. But like I said, using that guy's logic, if they continue to raise rates, you are going to see a whole bunch of other regional banks fail. <clears throat> and that ignited a, 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 a level of anxiety and fear that I could only write a book about. I mean, I, I can't explain to you what it is like. You see some more of those banks fail and you will see the investment demand in this industry go parabolic. The, the whole banking system has lost faith and lost trust. And I find it ironic that so many people left the big banks over the years because of just how systemic they really were and went to these the safety of these regional banks. But now it's the opposite of that. And they're all being herded back into the big commercial banks that are, 
are massively, massively tied to derivatives. At what point is it beyond the ability or the scope of the Federal Reserve to bail everybody out if one of those big commercial banks failed, just like Bear Stearns did, just like uh, Lehman Brothers did? Well, what happens if all of a sudden it's Bank of America and Wells Fargo? What are they going to do? And all of the people that have gone into there, are they just going to print more money to make them whole? FDIC has, uh, what, $125 billion in, in its reserves to back, what, $18 trillion in, in U.S. banking deposits. At what point does it just become obvious that they can't do this? And if they do, then they've chosen the fact that they will print their way out of this problem, destroying the value of the dollar forever. And if they continue to raise rates, then they blow everything up. I think it's naive to, to put out those numbers and say, well, we think this, and then if that happens, it'll be this. No, how about the fact that that the dollar is in trouble, the markets are in trouble, the banks are in trouble, and we are ending the end of this experiment, this Keynesian experiment, where making these predictions inside of a bubble, the way they always used to be worked when everyone wanted to be in US dollars, but that's changing globally. And the strain and the stress that's going to have on the system, the pressure that's going to happen as we see greater and greater de-dollarization across the globe, it'll change the metrics of all of these types of tools that the Fed likes to use and what will happen. And quite frankly, I think that this is all just window dressing. There is no way that they can raise rates high enough to ever stop the inflation from roaring out of control. And I don't think inflation is anywhere near over, quite frankly. And I think that they will uh, do one or two more small rate hikes. Something's going to happen. Something's going to break. And they will pivot and they will go the other way. And they will signal capitulation to inflation. And that's when you get a hyperinflationary uh, depression or, or a hyperstagflation. Prices go out of control and the market collapses and, and businesses collapse and you have you know, little or no economic growth characterized by rising prices. That to me is where we are heading. And I think anyone who looks at things in this singular fashion is really ignoring too many variables and doing the reader a disservice. Well, I hear you and uh, appreciate what you're saying there. And uh, certainly will be fascinating to watch how this all unfolds. Rafi talks about it a lot. He, he, I like, maybe don't like, but appreciate the way he phrases it. He says the will be the last sequence in this rate hike cycle or this this trajectory. This will be the last set of rate hikes in this financial system. And I agree. It's like on one hand, it, it's still. Uh, I don't know. I guess if you've been sitting here looking at this for long enough, there's part of me that thinks that is inevitable. Then there's that part of you that perhaps is that same human emotion you talked about earlier in the show, where something happens, then there's a period of time where something doesn't happen, and you know the mind thinks, "All right, things are back to normal." And um, so there's that part of you that's like hard to imagine this really changing on a bigger level, but. We won't dig into the bricks and all the stuff that's going on there today, but certainly things do appear to be changing in the world and um, will be a fascinating time going forward. So thank sure you as will. always, uh, Mr. Sheckman, for joining in here today. And I like the idea you mentioned in there, uh, maybe writing down your thoughts in a book one day. That'd be a good book, The Stories of a Bullion Dealer. I, I know you come across all sorts of interesting uh, scenarios that come on and Maybe one day we'll Actually, I'm in the process of writing one right now, and uh, which is something I just started, and I'm doing it in, uh, in conjunction with Robert Kiyosaki and his help, and 
Let me tell you something. I have great respect for you. You wrote a book. You know how hard it is. I have no had no idea how hard it is. I've gotten uh, seven pages done in in the last few days, and uh, <laughs> I only have a about another hundred and fifty to go. So, uh, but it's it's something that I am doing, and I feel strongly about. So, uh, I guess we'll see how that pans out. Well, that's pretty exciting to hear. I know you did mention that before. I don't know if we're sharing that publicly yet, but excited for you and will be fun to hear how that comes along as, as you keep progressing there. So uh, Andy, and wrapping up, if people have any questions, did want to buy or sell silver, get pricing, anything like that, what's the best way to get in contact? Yeah, please, if you're watching this show, please send an email to uh, Arcadia at milesfranklin.com. That's Arcadia at milesfranklin.com current price list any questions uh, we're happy to get back to you promptly and do what we can to to earn your trust in your business and um that would be great so uh arcadia at milesfranklin.com with any questions or or uh, to request a updated price list i did show you a little bit of our brand new website that has been the bane of my existence for the past year and we're almost there i know i've said that a lot but uh we are almost there and should be uh, hopefully soft launched as soon as this coming week. So we're getting there. In the meantime, that's the best way to reach out to us. All right. Well, appreciate that. Thanks for checking in as always. I know people enjoy hearing what's happening behind the scenes, getting an update on premium. So look forward to doing this again next week. Sounds good, my friend. You stay well, buddy. Well, thank you, Andy, as always, for this week's update. Great to see how things are coming along in the physical level of the silver market. Hope you found that helpful at home. And before we wrap up tonight, would like to thank BlackRock Silver, who brought us tonight's episode. BlackRock did recently announce that they had some results from their joint venture with Tierlac Resources, who has been doing the drilling for the lithium mineralization that BlackRock discovered on its project recently. And the first round of results came back with all drill holes intersecting grades in excess of 1,000 parts per million of lithium. All the drill holes intersected broad zones of lithium mineralization in excess of 400 parts per million, each having intervals greater than 1,000 parts per million, including the highest grade one, which came in at 1,460. The longest lithium intercept for the five holes is 146.6 feet, 44.7 meters. The highest grade for an included intercept is 1,196 parts per million over 10.2 meters, including 1,460 over 2.7 meters. They have assays for six remaining drill holes pending, and they are expecting a maiden resource estimate later on in 2023. So congratulations to BlackRock on that news. And Fortunately, I was able to catch up with Andrew Pollard last week, the CEO of BlackRock, who talked a little bit more about the details of that project. And to find out more about that, that video is coming your way now.